you know, where I start out from a macro analysis standpoint of where do I want to buy land to, you know, turn around, resell or build on, I look at where people are moving. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Habercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? My name is Mason McDonald, and I am here with my co-host, Dan Habercost, for another episode of The Big Picture Blueprint. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about one of the barriers to entry that I think uh, inhibits a lot of people from getting started in real estate, which is how do you pick a market to invest in um, or to flip in, depending on what your strategy is. But before we go into what both of our individual strategies are, Dan, how are you doing today? Mason, I'm great. Uh, business is busy right now. Uh, we're seeing a huge pickup in sales in North Carolina and Florida. And uh, yeah, I think regardless of the market or interest rates or the news, people are still buying. Absolutely. You know, there's seasonality to the business always. And sometimes, uh, you know, it might look scary for a little while and then people get tired of it and realize I still need to buy some land or I still need to build a house, even if interest rates uh, look like they're going to stay high, um, which that's what it looks like right now. I know they're very high for the 30 year fix. Dan, um, you know, you invest all over the country um, in various different markets. Let's start maybe today of we can talk about where we both invest and then we can kind of talk about how we actually picked these markets to invest in. Uh, if you want to just jump in and say the areas you invest. Sure. So one point of clarification I want to make, we are talking about land investing. Where I buy rentals is a different conversation, a different set of metrics. So just want to make that clarification. Uh, so I am in Colorado, North Carolina, and Florida mostly. Nice. And similar to you, I'm in Colorado, Arizona, and now getting into Florida as well. And, you know, you hear these states, and my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you listen to various other podcasts, or you're familiar with real estate-related data. And I think that when you hear Colorado, you hear Arizona, you hear Florida, you hear North Carolina or South Carolina and Texas and Nevada and some of those states, they're going to ring a bell. And the reason they ring a bell, that's where people are moving. So for me, you know, looking at land investing, and just like Dan said, we're talking about land investing, you know, where I start out from a macro analysis standpoint of where do I want to buy land to, you know, turn around, resell or build on, I look at where people are moving. And the way you find that information out is by Googling, where are people moving? And all of those states that we are listing right now are in the top 10 uh, within the country. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny you said that, Mason. I forget what we were talking about the other day, but I was struggling to figure something out. You just go, well, did you try Googling it? And it didn't even occur to me because that's so simple, but it often at least leads you to the place where you can find the answer. But to your point, starting with the macro, I agree strongly. And especially this last 12-ish months, you know, this time last year, summer last year, we all, I think, were a bit more nervous about where is the market going? We didn't know how much the increase in interest rates was going to impact things. And so I really shifted my business from being almost entirely Colorado to two, or two of the states that are, are seeing some of the most significant population growth uh, and then focusing on the entry-level areas in those states. So North Carolina and Florida. So similar thought to you. Oh, yeah. Where I'm looking at it right now, 
And, you know, I'll share my screen for people that are leaving on or looking at this on YouTube, where right here, it's from NAR and it is, let's see if it's popping up yet. It's from NAR and it is saying the domestic net migration by 2022. There it shows where number one in 2022, 318,000 people moved to Florida. And so the top five are Florida, Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. And then it goes into Georgia, Arizona, Idaho, Alabama, Oklahoma. And I think just recognizing that if you're in the business of investing in land or flipping land, you want to go where there is going to be a lot of new homes being built because just because people are moving there, um, it doesn't mean they're going to you know, be going after the existing inventory that's going to be limited and fixed. They're going to be targeting infill pieces of land, which is an area you know, that I think you're the expert on, Dan, if you want to talk about infill lot markets versus, you know, recreational or larger pieces. Yeah, this is a great point because both Mason and I, although we focused on slightly different sorts of land, it ultimately is going to be used to put some sort of home on. His maybe a little more rural, maybe a second home, a vacational, a recreational home, mine be more primary homes. But at the end of the day, it's still land meant for new homes. So we're, we're not speaking to recreational land here as much. That might be a little bit different as far as what you look at. Uh, and really getting specific with infill, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the show, so I'm not going to dig into it too much. But ultimately, we're talking about, you know, just the simple, generally small lots that are already developed horizontally, have utilities in place, you know, probably have 50% of them built out with homes on them already. And then, you know, there's three lots remaining, right? That's an easy way to describe infill. And so point being, they're shovel ready and you just have to go through the process of getting a permit to build on them. We're both doing some bigger deals, but our core bread and butter are those small infill lots, which are ultimately sold to builders to go put a spec home on or a pre-sale for a client or that client who wants to hire the builder to put their home on it. Uh, in some markets, I've seen speculators buying these just because they expect them to go up in value, but not as much. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I'll, and, and I'll dive into kind of the other other types of land out there and how you adjust your marketing or your market selection ideas around it too, where if you're investing in these states or purchasing land in these states where people are moving like crazy, it makes so much more sense to target the areas, the subdivisions that are established, it's going to be easier on you from a business owner standpoint. You know, it's a great way to get started because it's simple. Uh, I can look down the street and in the past year, four lots that look exactly like mine that are the exact same sold for $30,000. I know with my business, I can purchase it for $18,000. So from a tactical standpoint, it's really easy to do the math. Now, you know, going into kind of the markets that I've invested in historically, they're the same thing for the most part of they're horizontally ready to go. You know, it might not be city water and sewer. It might be a well and a septic system just because it's larger larger acreage, but they're still in subdivisions. And exactly like Dan said, in Colorado, it's these mountain communities where people are looking to put a second home. So Colorado, Utah, you know, along the Rocky Mountains is a great place to look for these types of market. You have to recognize that they're slower. There's more people that are moving to a subdivision in Florida that there are 10,000 jobs being added every six months to that are looking for a three-bed, two-bath home and they're looking for a piece of land to build on it. Because there is a restriction in supply of you know homes 
already, it's going to just take longer to sell because you're looking for one or two buyers for that particular lot. You know, on the second side of it, the recreational land, uh, when doing market selection, I think the thing is, you know, it's a lot more, I guess, subjective to the individual, how you should, you know, look at a market for recreational land. It's more, would I want to go out here and shoot guns and go fishing and go play outside? And, you know, you have to think about who your end buyer is, where, you know, the person that wants to get away retreat typically, you know, might not have as much money. You know, if they're not looking to build a nice home in a subdivision, that would also be a getaway retreat. So, you know, you have to recognize, okay, this might be an owner financing play. Um, but look at pretty areas for that type of market. Uh, but before I go too, too off tangent, uh, talking about recreational land, which is something that, you know, it's a great entry point for people looking to get into land flipping, but sticking with infill lots that are ready to go, that a builder potentially could be your end buyer, I think is probably a better play. But that being said, Dan, you mentioned that there might be two or three lots available in that subdivision at all. If there's a supply restriction on land, what do you do? How do you how do you make more land? Well, it's a great question, and this is a, a another niche. One small let me let me make one small comment on the recreational land. As I'm sitting here thinking about it, because it hasn't been as much my niche. I've done a few recreational lots. You still want to be generally commutable to big cities where people are moving. I think of Hartzell. I think of some of the uh, places in Florida where we bought and sold that were uh, recreational. They were still commutable to some of the big growing cities. So many of these same principles apply even to rec land. So just a caveat I wanted to make there. To prove your point really quickly, mm -hmm. uh, we're recording this. It is 12.03 p.m. on September 5th at 11.46 a.m. You know, I can kind of show you on the camera. Uh, Okay, to sum it up, I'm looking for really a getaway reset spot. I own a few companies in Denver and want a getaway location a few hours away. Yeah. And that's the point. Oh, it is. That's important. Anyway, so if let's say you're going to select a market, you find a, a subdivision that is mostly built out, but there's still huge demand. This is where finding the large tracts of land next to it, adjacent to it, that are next in line to being developed can be very, very profitable. So when you're selecting a market, let's say you find a market with a huge amount of transactions and demand for existing inventory, but you're just not seeing the new construction because there just isn't land or infill lots to put simple spec homes on. Well, if you talk to locals, I bet local realtors, people who are in the know, I bet there's some big developers looking for big pieces to take and split and turn into those subdivisions adjacent to the areas that are already developed. And so you can still target those markets and focus on, on that acreage that would then be sold to a developer, uh, most likely to actually do the, the subdividing. And those markets are typically, you know, it's, it's such a great play because you're able to essentially add value in a different way where it's, you're taking something and you're splitting in it into a bunch of other ones and to you know, get personal with the example, you know, of a subdivide I'm doing right now, just outside of Phoenix, it's in the path of progress. It's like five and a half acres. We're subdividing it into, I think, 1.4-ish acre parcels each. And whenever you look at it from a comparable analysis standpoint, there are no five acre parcels that we can compare it to because people aren't buying and selling five acre parcels. They're looking for a one acre parcel that they can easily build a home on, you know, whether it's a builder or an individual buyer that's going to build with a custom home builder. And 
that right there takes the value of the property or perceived value of the property, purchasing it for six or for two hundred fifty thousand. We're able to exit in the six hundreds because all the one and a half acre parcels are worth about one hundred fifty to one hundred sixty thousand each. So I think it's you know whenever you're examining these markets, um, you know targeting subdivides that are these larger acre parcels that are typically outside of the primary market. You know, of like, say, for instance, of Phoenix, you go into the secondary markets where people are starting to move or think about it. You've got all this movement coming in and they're moving into the city. That's where new people move. And then you've got the people that have lived in the city for a while that say, hmm, I love living in Phoenix, but it's getting too crowded for me. I want a little bit of acreage, but not a lot because that'd be too much to manage. And I'm going to go 45 minutes away, an hour away. So you kind of you know, for me, it's important to think about who might the end buyer be and finding these larger parcels just outside of these, you know, hot primary markets is how you add inventory to the market in a place where it's very scarce. And it's a really, really attractive business model that both of us are starting to get a lot more invested into. Yeah, absolutely. I'm working on the same thing in Eastern and El Paso County, Colorado, which is just east of Colorado Springs. There are almost no comps for 35 acre parcels but there's huge demand for them. And the significance of that number is is by right, you can drill a well and septic when you have a piece that large. So working on multiple hundred acre parcels and then take, subdivide, and uh, sell off at, as 35s. So we've started big picture here though, Mason. We, we talked about simply going where people are and money are going. From there, do you have any quantitative metrics that you can look at uh, to give you a better idea which of those markets are, are really, really on fire versus others? Yeah, absolutely. I started, you know, by sharing my screen and kind of showing that, you know, high level quantitative data that shows, okay, here's where people are moving. And that means something to someone, but from like an actual data standpoint, that might not mean everything that you would want it to mean. So, you know, once you kind of get that high level metric of recognizing, okay, let's go from macro and micro take a look on YouTube. Um, so I'm sharing my screen again for everyone that wants to do, you know, I started with, okay, where are people moving? And now I want to actually get into the local individual markets. So we know, for instance, North Carolina, that's a super hot market and, you know, one of the hottest in the country. And if my computer decides to move at a reasonable pace, um, you'll get to see this as well. But the NAR comes out with quarterly data, uh, every quarter, although they lag several months behind. So I believe it's still first quarter data, but we can go into North Carolina and get a good snapshot at an actual market. So I'm going to click on the Wilmington area because I know that around Wilmington is a very hot market. And so you're going to see all these different metrics and see what's going on. And you see this appreciation and the price of homes going up and kind of stabilizing a little bit right here. But one of the big things that the NAR publishes that is really, really nice for me is one, it's job growth right here. And then two, it's new housing construction, where I can see that in a 12-month period, new housing permits are up 15.2%, which is way up compared to what the United States is. Absolutely. So it's funny because I do a lot of business over there, and that market is very, very hot. I mean, everything that I have is selling there, even some crappy lots that I probably should not have bought. And so along this whole train of thought, right? Markets develop. Uh, there's a pretty consistent sort of scenario they follow, at least these subdivisions where there's a boom somewhere in the middle, right? Uh, a lot of the times it doesn't happen right when the subdivision's done. Uh, and if you're too late, like 
downtown Wilmington. Everything's astronomically priced. I can tell you that I'm, I'm doing business there. But where do you find those markets that are in the middle where they haven't been mostly built out yet, but they're starting to rapidly be built out and, and prices aren't crazy yet? And so I have found those pretty consistently on the outskirts of these major metros. And I'm using a real life example right now because Macy just mentioned Wilmington. Well, some of the markets around there, if you go south down to supply, which is in the middle of Brunswick County, I mean, everyone knows it already, right? It's on every list ever. Uh, that is an awesome market to be in. It's what, 30 minutes to an hour outside of Wilmington, depending on which of these cities we're talking about. But I have been doing business all over exactly that area you guys are seeing all year and last year. And it has been an awesome, awesome market. And there's some interesting qualitative metrics that fit that market and many of the ones that I've had success in. So let me just try and summarize a little more succinctly and then I'll hit that. If you go to the major metros that are growing, Denver, Wilmington, uh, what's Charlotte, and then you go to the outskirt markets where you find lots of infill lots and lots of new builds going up and strong sales numbers as far as how many lots have sold in the last 90 days versus come on the market, you can often find hot markets that are great for land flipping. Many of the markets I've been in, they've had bad connotations historically, but they reached a point where the metro nearby got so expensive that people people just said, screw it, and they started moving there. And I can give you example after example, but Pueblo West, Colorado was that way. Uh, Pahrump, Nevada, one of my friends has bought and sold hundreds and hundreds of lots there. And as brothel, the zoning code, everyone, nobody wanted to move there. It's it's where you go to find prostitutes. But Las Vegas got expensive. People needed pl a place to go. And there are nice subdivisions going up all over Pahrump. Brunswick County is another example of this. Lehigh Acres, I visited there last year. I've done a huge amount of business. And talking to some of the locals, they kind of laughed. And they said, yeah, we were, we were thought of the podunk town for a long time. Some of the people I know over by the coast thought, that's where you go to buy meth. And what do you know? It's blowing up. So I know I just threw a lot at you there, but it's really interesting finding these cheap places on the outskirts of booming metros that have historically been ignored, but are commutable to that metro has been really profitable for me. Well, and, and Dan, that makes it so where the newbie investor isn't interested in doing business in it, which reduces the competition to a certain extent. Where... You said Pueblo. All I can think of with Pueblo is South Park, which is what Randy says, you know, Pueblo has no bueno, smoothie mal. All I can think of is that. And so, you know, we've driven down there and looked at projects and I'm like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. And get your boots on the ground. If you're interested in a market and you have the potential to make five, tens, twenties, hundreds of thousands of dollars, buy a $500 flight and go drive around and take a look at it and get to understand it and Google it. You know, like we said at the beginning, just Google, uh, you know, the county where I was trying to pull it up. I've got the article on my phone of Brunswick County is considered one of the hottest markets in the United States once again. And so you find that information out and you can target areas where you can get ahead of the game and get out of, you know, where Dan's doing business and supply and, you know, some of these areas along the coast right here and go a little further. And it could be a speculative buy, um, or it could be you have the opportunity to do a subdivide as this supply starts getting constrained. Because, you know, to get very technical, or not very technical, we can only get so technical in this business, 
you know, we've kind of walked through from a state level to like an individual market level to now, if you see me, I'm on Zillow right now and I have it filtered for land and I have it filtered for the last 90 days where what I would do, I was doing business is I would go and zoom in on one of these pockets right here where there's tons and tons and tons of transactions occurring. And I really like that price point. And I would pick land is selling right in this area market and say, okay, I know that. And what I would do is I would double check and see for $50,000, give or take. How much is for sale? You know, in this area right here, I'm not drawing anything. You know, we saw what was that number that have sold in the last 90 days. And we can see that for sale in the last of all time right here, it's taken a minute to load. We've got 81. So that means from a market inventory standpoint, seeing how people like us are, yeah, you've got 90 days of inventory, which means the market is essentially turning over in its entirety in 90 days. So if you can go into a market like this and purchase something at 40 to 70 cents on, you know, of market value, and you can get a 30 to 100% cash on cash return in 90 days or way, way less, you start, you know, 10xing our money. Yeah. And there's one more that you make a lot of good points there, Mason. And this does get really granular like this, because especially if you want to come uh, come play in Brunswick County, you better be careful, though. There's a lot of very specific uh, nuanced due diligence there, because I know right where this is. I bought and sold a bunch right there. But one more point I wanted to make along my whole train of thought about these markets that have been successful. What are, what are qualities I'm consistently seeing? Well, one other is there's an imbalance between demand and people on the business side of things fulfilling that demand. And so let me tell a quick story to explain what I mean. In Brunswick County, when I was deciding whether I wanted to mail there about a little over a year ago, I called a couple realtors and and I told them about a lot I was looking at. And they go, oh, two of them, two of them said this. Oh no, that's not on the market. You can't buy that. And this still makes me laugh today, you know, because that's hilarious. It's not the case in a lot of the markets in Florida, which are ultra competitive. And uh, so these markets that I've found to be really productive, they often don't have a lot of competent realtors, investors, builders, business people fulfilling the demand. So there is a void to be filled. So I, this was the case in Pueblo West, Colorado, and in, in not Lehigh anymore, but it was true in Lehigh Acres. It was true in Roswell County. Uh, it's gotten very competitive there. So don't go there now. You won't make any money. But... Uh, <laughs> That is, all jokes aside, that is a really interesting uh, qualitative metric where calling around, talking to a few people, if you talk to every realtor and they go, oh, I know what assignments are, I know what wholesaling is, I know what land investors are, doesn't mean you can't make money there, but it's going to be competitive. Whereas if you find a place with a ton of demand and you consistently hear people that, oh, no, you, you can't buy lots that are off market, that is a green flag. So many great points. And, you know, the the thing is, this is where the challenge with this business comes in is unless you're living in one of these markets, you're probably not going to be doing business in your backyard. And having that insider knowledge, that local knowledge can be absolutely just crucial in getting business done. You know, you mentioned the market specific due diligence, you know, every market's going to have that. And, you know, Brunswick County, North Carolina does have complexity with all of the deals that you have to do in every, you know, every piece of due diligence. But it's also the idea of, hey, you know, it looks to me like this is a great piece of land. But little do you know that, you know, this is 
a gang run territory or this is where, you know, all the map houses are or something like that, where it might look on paper perfect, but it could be a horrible deal. So having that local knowledge can be huge, but you know, that's the, I don't know if it's a paradox, but the paradox of, you know, having this no one that can absolutely help you out. And so it's very confusing and convoluted with doing business in these areas. And it's very frustrating, which gives you an edge. But I hope the people that are listening to this also see, you know, an opportunity where uh, we work with some very competent realtors uh, throughout the country. And we work with some that aren't super competent. And if you are sharing these names and you're a realtor and you're young and you have the ability to move, there's an opportunity for you. Yeah. Go move yeah. and you would have enough business by being the one competent person in town that you make a significant amount of money. And if you're hearing this and hearing Mason and Dan, two, you know, semi-expert land investors, have this huge problem with finding great realtors in these markets, you have the idea of solving this problem, reach out to us. Of This is an issue for so many land investors out there. It's, you know, an opportunity for the great realtor to figure out a nationwide land brokerage. So reach out if you've got ideas on that. Yeah. Yeah. And to the point, kind of as a corollary to that, there's a problem that needs solved. So if you solve that, you can make a lot of money. It's the same sort of thing when I'm looking at these markets and they're complicated, convoluted, or just difficult. I know if we deal with that and we figure it out, we can make a solid return, uh, assuming there is demand in that place. So just a point I wanted to make there. Along with all the points we've already made, Mason, do you have anything else you want to say yeah, I think uh, I think price point is one thing we haven't quite hit on mm-hmm. because you know when you're doing business and you're you're working the math backwards of how quickly do you want to get your capital back or your investors' capital back or the bank's capital back on doing a land flip or doing a development project, what price point opens up your buyer you know to the highest degree? Because I've got some land for sale that's almost a million dollars. And my buyer pool is very small for that piece of land. However, if you're getting into that twenty and thirty to forty thousand dollar price range, and even below that in certain markets, your buyer pool becomes gigantic. Um, so I think you know recognizing that it's going to be very very market specific. But you know if you can find a piece of land in a subdivision anywhere that's build ready and it's that twenty to forty k range. My guess is your likelihood of being able to flip it, especially if there's not a regulation, a lot of regulations or code related to having to be a stick-built home versus a manufactured home, your end buyer pool becomes pretty massive. And I could probably spend an hour talking about price points and everything and all of the you know specifics associated with it. You know, you make your money when you buy. It's the big thing I want to say because uh, you couldn't always undercut your competition. But what market opens up your buyer pool from a price point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point. And Brunswick County, I think, is a great example of that because most of the lots we have bought and sold there have been between twenty and 60 or 70,000 sales price. Uh, we're working on some much bigger ones that are on those islands. Those islands go up dramatically. Uh, the point being, we have a big buyer's pool because we're mostly targeting middle-class product there, and so it tends to sell very quickly. If we get those island lots... I am fully expecting it might take six, nine, 12 months to sell. Uh, so that's a really important consideration because you need to keep this in mind as you're thinking about, well, 
how quickly do I need to make money? Is this a thing where if it doesn't start producing for six months or 12 months, that's fine? Or does it need to produce next week? So that's important. One more point I want to make along that whole train of thought is if making money quickly is important to you, finding a market with builders is, is really what I would, I, I would have to push you towards because you can quickly and easily buy and sell or assign to them. And that count sounds kind of ridiculous. Of course, we're all trying to make money quickly at the point of the business, but we all have different time horizons as far as how quickly we need to become profitable. So I would look for places with infill lots and lots of builders if you need to to monetize and get a return quickly. Right on. You know, it's the, to simplify what Dan said and everything that we've said in this show is figure out where people want to own the land and buy it for cheap and then sell it for more. Because, you know, whether it's the recreational, beautiful piece of land in Colorado that has a creek running through it, that some of those rec pieces, you might be thinking 10, 20, 30, some of them are million dollar recreational pieces of land, you know, or it's the subdivision where one of the nationwide home builders is looking for land. You know, you have to just go where the demand is and there's appropriate balance of supply. And from there, it's just doing math. So I think these are all great, great lessons that you can use. And, you know, there's a lot of nuggets in this show that you can pull out and bring to your individual business, whether it's land, um, you know, and I think there is some application with, uh, you know, single family homes and buy and hold where, you know, make sure you're buying where people want to live. Because if you buy a random house in the worst suburb in, De in Detroit and you think you're going to make a killing doing a flip on it, same problem of doing it in, I don't know, Dan, wherever, wherever, whatever beautiful parts of Ohio that you really missed. Well, no, I've seen, I've seen this too. I mean, jokes aside, out of state investors get themselves in trouble being from Ohio. You know, East Cleveland, the price points are crazy low, and there's a reason for that. Uh, you know, they would be analogous to what people think of when you hear Detroit. And so people don't do their due diligence. They don't get uh, boots on the ground, so to speak, and they only go off of spreadsheet analysis. And that gets them in trouble because they end up with uh, non-bank tenants and constant turnover problems and that sort of thing. And so I'm glad you said that because that leads into the last point I wanted to make, which is, I and Mason and nobody else that we know have figured out a purely qualitative way to do this really well. And it comes down to, all right, the qualitative points you in the direction of you know one market or another, but you've got to talk to people locally, ideally get boots on the ground, but that's not always feasible. So at least talk to people locally and see, is it another place where they don't know anything about going direct to seller or is it where there's 3,000 other land investors and Every realtor knows what assignments and uh, wholesaling, et cetera, are, right? Uh, these are metrics that cannot be found quantitatively. So uh, you got to do some work and just talk to people. There you go. Mic drop moment, Dan. Well, I hope everyone found this useful. Uh, make sure to check us out on Spotify and hopefully on YouTube so you can see what we're actually doing when we are showing you some of the tactics that we're doing. This is Mason McDonald and Dan Habercoss with the Big Picture Blueprint signing off. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.